we are truly in the darkest timeline, so why not travel back to a simpler time, when your toughest choice was what to rent a blockbuster for the weekend, Face Off or Con Air. That's where the Talkbuster podcast comes in. Every episode, Chris Chipman is joined by a guest who relive their time working for Blockbuster. The good and the bad. It's a fun nostalgic dive that, if nothing else, is a great escape. Find the Talkbuster podcast on your favorite podcasting site today. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Turner Ulrich and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? It's going alright. We're recording on a Sunday, which we don't normally do, and but we it's the only time we could line up with our guest. Uh, on Sundays I always go see the movies, so I went and saw a movie that I'll talk about in Suggestions of the Week later. Uh, but So I'm okay. How are you? I just discovered I really love rye bourbon. All right. You also like old fashions, so I'm not too I do, and it creates a. I've been playing around with different drink or alcohols for old fashions, and I've discovered rye is really good. Scotch is kind of a game changer. I just really love bourbon and whiskey, but I knew that already. All right. I I have my own opinions, but I don't think it's right to judge a man based on his drink choice. So power to you, Mister. I only drink whiskey sours. I don't only drink whiskey sours. I like I like whiskey sours, but I'll drink plenty of stuff. Well, whiskey sours is the only thing I know you drink off the top of my head. Just because that's an easy one that I can get from a you know any bar. Although I just recently discovered there, I wrote it down, but there was some concoction that I had at a bar I went to in Lewiston that was quite good. But like I said, I don't remember what it was offhand, so that's why I wrote it down. Eh, whatever. Always go with the funny names, and if it has tequila. Just keep going. I agree. I like black opals. So. The fuck's a black opal? It's like a Long Island iced tea on steroids. Oh, it's like her love Long Island, so that <laughs> that might be right up her alley. Yeah, at least that's what I'm told it was. I had it with some friends at a sports bar a couple years ago, and I liked it. <laughs> Stands to reason. Yeah. All right. Well, let's roll on to our patron sound off, the wonderful, wonderful people that support this podcast and keep it free to all of you. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Agnew, John Vittles, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donna Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mel, Scott Rubin, Derek Tony, and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, get your name right off at the top of every episode, head on over to Geeks with Shields forward or Patreon forward slash Geeks with Shields because you could give us a dollar. That's great. Get early access to our content. Or for a little bit more, you can unlock access to all sorts of great things like movie reviews, like we're about to do right now. Kind of. Sort of. Not really. This is somewhat news to me, too, but I don't have direct control of our Patreon stuff, so I trust Ulrich. Anyway, today, as I alluded to earlier, we have a guest, and it's one of our... I don't know what the right word for this is, but he's been a guest longer than basically anyone else because he's one He of my might have friends. been our first guest. Yeah, but go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, Bloomvog here. I am back for a new review. How are All you right. guys doing? We're doing pretty well, and pick behind the curtain, Woonvog goes with me basically every Sunday to the movies. Like, Woonvog is my movie buddy. So, like, the movie we saw today, that was the two of us and my girlfriend went. The movie we're going to talk about, we saw last week. Yes. I think I saw it the week before that. But anyways, I don't know if we necessarily need to do a review because we're talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, It's well on its way to a billion dollars and it hasn't released in Japan or Korea yet. So it's definitely going to pass that billion mark. Oh, it's going to make all the fucking money. And I well, feel that, like... 
real if quick, you want to see it, you've already seen it. Yes, but real quick, just to most get likely. The, yeah, real quick, just get the spoiler free out of the way on the off chance, just to be you know. You're, you're waiting on us. We, we appreciate. They're like, no, no. I, I need to know what Axel and Ulrich thought of the Super Mario Brothers. I call it I being a responsible it. podcaster to give this option so quickly. <laughs> Before so if you, have, if you haven't heard, there's this guy named Mario. He's a plumber. Ah, oh, fucking... All right. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to assume you know what Super Mario Brothers is because that's a nonsense thing to... But point is, the movie is good. I personally don't think it's, like, amazing or anything, but it was enjoyable, it was fun, and Jack Black stole the show as Bowser. That's... that's Oh, and I loved Anna Taylor-Joy as Peach. That's basically my feelings on the matter. I'm about uh... the same. Yeah, I didn't like Anya Taylor-Joy so much as Peach, but that's neither here nor there. Jack Black, yeah, no, Jack Black. I don't like Jack Black, nothing personal. I just, I don't find his brand of comedy amusing. He fucking did an incredible job as Bowser. Yeah, I, and even though I have other thoughts about some specifics, I think Charlie Day was way inspired as Luigi. and That was fun. And if you're one of the people who thought Chris Pratt wasn't going to be able to do it as Mario, well, you're wrong. He does fine. Oh, yeah, all the wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it's like, no, it, it was it was fine. It yep. was far from the worst VO in the entire Literally, the, the only real problem the movie yep. has is that it's slight. Like, it's light. It's very light fare, yes. but it's not trying it's a to be. Fucking, it's a fucking Mario yeah, movie. That's we'll fine. get around to the quote-unquote controversy. Yeah, exactly. But I'm later. saying that from a spoiler-free standpoint, the only real criticism you can levy at the movie is that it has no real ambition. But it's fine. Not everything needs It's to. a fucking Mario movie. Yeah, it's it's good. It's It does its job. Kids are going to love it. It's enjoyable families. If you grew up with Mario, my very first console ever was a Nintendo, original Nintendo, playing Super Mario Brothers, and the number of nostalgia kicks that happen are insanely high, so, you know. Oh, yeah. No, my only real complaint is this movie moves at a fucking breakneck pace. Yeah, it's true. I would have liked some yeah, more time. It's to... very fast pace. Yeah, there's Which some specific like, okay. things I would have liked to chill in more, but we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to hold it against it too bad. All right, any other thoughts for you guys before we get into more deep stuff? About the same for me. It's really cute. It was a lot of fun. It's it's too fast at points, but I think it hit hit all the points it needed. All the actors were fine. Uh, personal favorite thing is I think they nailed the relationship between Mario and Luigi as brothers. Yeah. Even though they, they don't share enough screen time, what they had was really good. There's one specific moment that's a flashback that really solidified it to me. Mm-hmm. Now, this movie's probably like its biggest, or second biggest problem, is it's packed to the gills. Yeah. Which, again, is also kind of why I feel like it moves so quick, is it's it's teetering, you know, its ability to keep itself together with all this shit it has going. Like, nope, just keep moving. If we stop, someone might fall off. Oh, no, Luigi fell off. Keep moving, he'll come back. Yeah, it's momentum, kind of like playing the original Super Mario Brothers game. Just yeah, run no, forward. This, is, this this really is if you made that video game into a movie. All right, and here's here's what I'll say to finish: if you for some reason didn't see it yet, again listening to this, it is worth your time and money to see it in theaters. Yeah, it's fun. It's like candy. Yeah. Okay, from this yeah, point no, it, forward, it is a solid popcorn movie. 
Yeah, and from this point forward, all bets are off. We're going to talk about anything, so I'm going to assume, if you're listening to this, you're okay with that, or already know. Go ahead, Ulrich. I, I genuinely, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I love that we got <laughs> the original Mario voice actor in there. I Charles the Martinet, jump- as yeah. his name said. <laughs> I love the Jumpman reference. I love the Donkey Kong reference. I love all the little references. Can I say how actually amazingly surprised I am how pitch perfect Seth Rogen is as Donkey Kong? That oh, I, I hated it. I hated it with every fiber of my being. <laughs> that I was more concerned about. Like, I thought that Seth Rogen was going to, but I don't know. I really like him as Donkey Kong, but I remember the original Donkey Kong television show, so. Okay, maybe that's the thing. I didn't play My Donkey Kong is literally Mario trying to rescue his girlfriend. Yeah, no, I played I played Donkey Kong Country, Donkey Kong sixty four. I watched the Donkey Kong show. Donkey Kong is a character for me, and this and Seth Rogen nails him kind of perfectly. I don't have any problem with his portrayal. I love his portrayal, but just all the wailing and gnashing of teeth of why is it always Chris Pratt for these things? It just sounds like Chris Pratt. I'm like Seth Rogen does the exact same fucking Seth Rogen laugh in every goddamn performance, but no one says shit about it. Yeah, and it bugs me. Well, that's the thing. When you have well, here's here's the interesting difference to me. Chris Pratt, I feel like, is not actually doing the Chris Pratt voice in this. I feel like he actually is doing a performance as Mario. Seth Rogen really isn't. But when you have an actor like that who has a very definitive voice, then the way you're supposed to deal with that is by pitting them into the roles that match them. The reason why this becomes a problem is when you start like forcing people whose voices don't fit roles into the roles but I, I don't know seth rogan's voice worked for donkey kong i don't know what to tell you <laughs> no i liked his character his character made me laugh i loved everything with donkey kong country Woonvog? yes you, you started saying uh, something like twice oh no i was uh yeah I'd, I'd agree with the setup with donkey kong i i like seth rogan all the voice actors i think were fine chris pratt yeah, I think I like the the background of they're from Brooklyn, sent to a magical place, yeah. and I that's also, what the movie did. I also love the idea that in the opening sequence we see that, oh, Chris Pratt can do the Mario voice, but of course they don't want him to do it for the whole movie, so we're just going to put it in this sequence as a the character is putting on a voice. I yeah, know. no, I love they got that right out of the way. Like, can you imagine doing that all the time? Yeah, no. Mm. So I, and I, like I, I agree. Like, yeah, there were people that were upset that we weren't going to get Martinez' classic voice for the whole thing. I and while only, I do, yeah, I feel that way only because I feel like Charles Martinet doesn't get enough credit as a voice yes. actor. So, yeah, well, I'm, I want to uh, make the record clear: I'm always in favor of hiring voice actors. Yeah, in general, uh, absolutely, and especially when he's been the voice since the beginning, basically. Uh, but with with Martinet, everyone's like, oh, you wouldn't do the voice. And it's like, yeah, he doesn't need to do that voice. He is a voice actor. Yeah. But Chris Pratt did fine, despite problems with Hollywood in general. You know what I wish yeah. would have happened, though? And, like, if I, if I was in charge, well, not in charge, but if I was connected, I would have fought for just one little addition, just one thing. At the very end of the movie, right before the end credits thing, have Charles Martinet as Mario just say, thank you for watching my film. 
Just like yeah. you did, and thank you for playing my game. That would have been a nice touch. Like, I wish that that would have happened, but that's me. <laughs> I was happy kind of he got there. Because, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, having him all around the movie was cute. The whole... I don't think there was a scene in the movie that did not have a reference somewhere. Yeah. I think the moment that really caught me was just... There's a sequence where Mario does a sequence of three jumps, and they're literally the exact motions in jump animation that he's made since Mario 64. And that was just such a nice, yes. specific touch that I was like, ah, oh, oh, I recognize that. that is, oh. Anyway. I no, think my I... favorite... Uh, my favorite was... And I literally said it to myself in the theaters, went, oh, cool, they even got the nightmare eel in the movie. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that's what I don't... Because on the one hand, you know, an easy criticism is, oh, they just, you know, stuck in a bunch of references from the games. That's not really that hard. But I'd almost argue, like, yeah, but it's in a very organic way. It doesn't feel forced. Like, if you know, you know. If you don't, it's like, that looks cool. Yeah. That's funny. No, that that's a big thing, is that you can make these kind of things feel forced. Oh, example. Last year, or year before, I don't remember, uh, Wunvog and I went and saw the Resident Evil movie. That was an example of forcing in nostalgia stuff that has no, like, organic place in the movie and takes you out of it. Whereas nothing in this movie... Right, Woonfog? Did you get that feeling, too? Yeah, it, it was definitely... With the Resident Evil movie, it was like, here's a movie that we're going to, in an hour and a half, try and cram in as much information from the first, second, and third game as possible. Yeah. Whereas the nostalgia thing is in... just made a mess. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the nostalgia thing in the Super Mario Brothers movie felt more like, well, the point of this movie... Well, one of the points of this movie is to create the world of Super Mario Brothers, which is a world that is, at least in people's minds and their subconscious, populated largely by sounds and aesthetic, not necessarily, like, narrative specifics. So that's what we need to put in the movie to get that feeling of the Mushroom Kingdom, you know? Which, let's give credit yeah. where credit's due. They found a way to make the Mushroom Kingdom a place and have Mario be a plumber from Brooklyn, and it makes sense. I was surprised we got yeah. to see Mario's family, by the way. That was... That was a nice touch. Yeah. But, like, the whole time leading to, like, I don't know what story you craft out of Mario because Mario doesn't really have a story. Also, by the way, I, I didn't check this with with anyone but the the girl in the commercial that was paulina right yes that was my read in the commercial yeah. no 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 uh the mayor of the city the mayor that was, was paulina. paulina okay they looked similar she's wearing the exact same dress as she does in super mario odyssey those weren't the same characters no yes okay maybe okay <laughs> i didn't play odyssey unfortunately i just again donkey kong that's my entry point well, again, the I construction, played. like when he's leaping in the construction, was great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, for me, the big Mario thing in my childhood was I mastered Mario sixty four because I went to a, a daycare center after school and they had Mario sixty four. So I played that almost every day for a few years to the point where I was the kid in the daycare that knew how to get stuff that the other kids couldn't get. So they would come to me if so. Like <laughs> that was mm -hmm. my jam. <laughs> That's why I was expecting. 
like painting stuff. I think at one point when he's going through Peach's castle, my eyes instantly went to the paintings, and I was like, okay, where are 64 episodes? Yeah. I know they're going to be here. I remember seeing some, but I can't I remember what they are offhand. That was pretty great. Uh, I think the thing that surprised me so much is how bringing in a lot of the the things from the game and making it feel like it works in this lived-in world. Yeah. Like the like the training the training montage, while maybe taking up a little too much time, was really cute and in that like oh here's like how the blocks work here's how power ups are set up. I really like the fact that they did not explain power ups because guess what they just exist in this world. You know, they yeah, are, yep. whatever. It's magic. It's magic. It doesn't make sense. It don't fit in the game. And it's just like, this is a thing. And also, it is deeply hilarious watching Mario have to be force-fed mushrooms and just the deep unpleasantness of it all. Like, I don't know why, but that tickled me on a deep, profound level. Yeah. I also love that somewhere I know there was some executive that was like, wait, we got Jack Black to voice Bowser. Make him sing. You gotta make him sing. Oh, that was a given. I think that's like a writer in his contract. Yeah, I think so too. But I think it was very worth it because I enjoyed the hell out of his his little songs. Everyone but me and like a handful of grumpy old folks. Okay, I'm neutral on it. I've definitely seen the tide turning of like, oh, it's just a lazy, dumb song. But that kind of ties into what we'll talk about in the back half of the quote-unquote controversy of Mario. I also love that they Hmm. went that direction because it's been it's been a weird kind of underlying thing in the Mario franchise for a long time that Bowser's in love with Peach because that wasn't like a given for a long time. I think was Super Mario Sunshine the first time they really kind of made that possible, possibly explicit, would you say, Winvog? Somewhere between Sunshine and 64. Like, well, actually, no, even before that, but my thing is the the cartoons. Oh. I think the cartoons when it was still... King Koopa and Princess Toadstool pushed that narrative, I think. I will admit, my memory of the cartoons is extremely fuzzy. I just remember being a thing that in Mario's Sunshine, you know, Bowser Jr. shows up, says Peach is his mom, and Peach doesn't immediately deny it. Not to get into the weirdness of there, but I'm just saying there was a whole, like, okay, maybe there's something something there. Yeah. Yeah. But I just like that that's the angle they went with here, Bowser being in love with Peach. That that first moment where he's, like, riling up a soldier, he's like, then I'm gonna marry Peach! No, what? <laughs> yeah, what? But, but no yeah. one's gonna tell King No, Kuba that was great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, I, I like how they, they did really well in blending this, and the RPGs kind of touch on it, too, that Bowser is just kind of an awkward loner who doesn't know how to communicate with people didn't paper mario explain that really well yes he's very much this same attitude in the paper mario games but that also it still doesn't detract from the fact that he is an intimidating giant dragon by the way my the the thing that got me to laugh most in the entire movie the biggest laugh for me came from a evolution of what we're talking about which is when bowser's interrogating luigi asking about Mario, and he says the question, do yes. princesses find him attractive? And Luigi, if they have good taste, they do. Yeah, no, that was, there's a lot of really good jokes I was impressed was perfect by. line. Yeah, it made me laugh, because of course, that's Luigi, like, backing up Mario even when he's not there, and he's being, th- I don't know, something about it just tickled me so well. <laughs> yeah, and therein lies, like, 
like I said, the the great connection between Mario and Luigi. Like it's it's silly, but I loved in at the very end when you know they're reunited and the hug they shared was just so warm. Well, that's why I mentioned the flashback that solidified it for me. In, in the middle of the movie, there's mm, a yes. moment where Luigi flashes back to baby Luigi getting picked on by someone. I don't remember the specific, like a castle knocked over or something. And baby Mario just stands in front of him, and there's just this perfect little moment of the two of them. And, I don't know, it just, it worked. I think my favorite thing is... At no point in the discourse has anyone questioned why two 20-something-year-old men are still living with their parents. Well, also, I felt, admittedly, that by showing the entire family at the table, it, it being kind of implied that they're a not-very-well-off family in Brooklyn, it was just kind of like, oh, the whole family lives together. Oh, it's not even that deep. It's their Italian. My yeah. uncle lived with his grandparents till he went to my grandparents till he was 40. Yeah. Well, hmm. there's that. It's an old Very school idea. Yeah, it's also an old school cultural idea of like the family stays together and you take care of the older people and they get older and you stay in one house. It's these. Anyway, yeah. I just laughed. Yeah. It's like, no, everyone was like, no, they're Italian. They don't move out when they're 20. It's like after they're married, they move out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going back to the music, though, mm-hmm. again, a few things. I, I was pretty medium on on peaches. It's it's cute and again, yeah. You get Jack Black in a movie. Well, I didn't want to like give him a song. I didn't like the pe- repeating the word peaches, but all the stuff around it I really liked. And again, I like Jack Black's singing voice in general. So, but an- another slap of nostalgia, getting Grant Kirkhope's DK rap yes into into the movie was great. I was bouncing in my chair. I knew that was coming, and I still was like, yeah, DK. <laughs> Donkey Kong. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, the second Donkey Kong shows up and he's like flexing his pecs and his dad and Cranky Kong's like, stop it. He's like, what? And he's just showboating. Yeah, I know. It's like, okay, I don't like oh, yeah. Seth Rogen for this, but I love the character of Donkey Kong as just this like, are you happy now, Dad? Well, also, there's a little side <laughs> thing to me personally as a Super Smash Brothers fan. Donkey Kong has by far the best taunt in Super Smash Brothers, where he's got this one where he just holds out his hands, uh, like facing the sky, and shakes his head. It goes, "Ooh, <laughs> it's it's the to me." Yeah. If you <laughs> kill someone in Super Smash Brothers as Donkey Kong and you don't do that taunt, you're playing him wrong. I'm sorry. So having that showboat <laughs> personality just was perfect for me. Yeah. So how far off is the Smash Brothers movie at this point? Because they set it up. <laughs> Well, according Woonvog told me, is that uh, Miyamoto has said that there will be more Nintendo movies coming, and if we follow a, you know, what is the latest trends, Smash Brothers would be the Avengers equivalent. Yeah, because I mean, this, I don't this think is going to make a build. It, this but is who make... knows? Yeah, agreed. I, I don't think it's something that needs to happen, <laughs> but it would be fun. <laughs> it, no, the, I, it's going to be interesting because Nintendo is very conservative with the use of their characters oh yeah another thing i heard people complaining about the soundtrack and that there was a lot of like older music but i the The needle drops got a lot of bitching yeah but for me the moment they got into the kong kingdom and take on me by aha started playing and i had the funniest fucking shit ever i loved it (laughs) but i was also like are all these songs like 80s like early 80s songs stuff that would have been 
coming out when Super Mario Brothers came out? Because that seems like the point. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't Not hate any of the. Them. I didn't hate any of the needle drops. Like the new when like the take on me was fucking hilarious. As you know, he throws the banana and there's a big explosion in the background. Because I don't remember what yeah. year Thunderstruck came out, but I know ACDC is a early '80s, late '70s band for the most part. No, yeah, the I, only. I, oh, go ahead. I was just saying, I'm with both of you guys. I have no problem with the soundtrack because uh, I thought the I thought the music choices were a lot of fun. Uh, the only one that's I think definitely in the '90s was at the very beginning. They did Beastie Boys "No Sleep Till Brooklyn." Yeah, yeah. but that's <laughs> but you gotta do that because they're in Brooklyn. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we got the original songs very integrated very well. Like, the original soundtrack yes. was in there. The only one that kind of bugged me was they fucking dropped a needle drop over the top of the power star. Yeah. At the end. And I'm like, mm. no, get that out of here. It need stop. I just liked how subtle when they go under Brooklyn, the love, world or the level two music yeah. was playing in the background just very subtly. No, there's like I said, yeah. the only song is just that end one. It's because they dropped it in over the star power up. I'm like, no, get that the fuck out of here. This is the one time we do not need contemporary music. Yeah, and they they have even stated to get the star music uh, during that scene, they actually had to fight back for it. So I'm glad that it was put there. I also love that in that whole sequence before Mario and Luigi get the star, it you know Bowser is just kicking ass like. Yep. Like Donkey yeah. Kong comes and punches him, but you just, you can see in the background that no one can really stand up to Bowser in a fair fight. And oh, another cute touch, just again at this point, just kind of gushing over uh, nods I enjoyed when Paulina at the very end comes to congratulate them. DK looks flustered. Yeah. Well, I love DK actually had a lot of. Someone pointed this out. And I noticed it while I was watching the movie too. But I like that people point this out. There's a lot of really subtle things happening with characterization. Like there's a moment where Mario is hanging on the back of Donkey Kong's cart, and he gives Donkey Kong like a friendly arm shoulder punch, and like yeah, victory. And he does that, and Donkey Kong's face changes from excitement to irritation as he like looks over at him, like he's not cool with that. Yeah, it's just a little character moment like that that you know those work for me. Yeah, uh, the and Rainbow Road bit was was awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the the suicide bomber blue shell. Yeah. No, my daughter like when it started, she leaned over and go, "Daddy, it's just like Mad Max." <laughs> it was totally Mad Max. Yes. It was like it's one hundred percent Mad Max, and then the blue shell. I'm like, oh, they know what they're doing. I love the idea that the oh, way definitely. to make the the way to make Mario Kart fit in this world is that the Kong Kingdom is just obsessed with carts. Why not? Yeah. Well, t- touching on the idea that in Donkey Kong Country, uh, Funky Kong was a mechanic. That's re- it's weirdly fitting. Yeah, makes sense. I also love that Toad. Toad is an interesting thing for me because he's one of those characters that is not really a character throughout most of the franchise period. But, like, I played Toad in Super Mario 2. Like, that was my go-to because he was fast and lifted things mm-hmm. up fast. So seeing, like, okay, we got this one Toad who's just super brave and will not be left behind on the adventure. Oh, I really liked everything about that Toad. He was great. Yeah. I could have... I wouldn't mind seeing a little more of him, but... Like we said... The the movie, while a little fast, I feel was, I feel like they still tried to do a lot with it, and it worked out. Yeah, I I heard 
one of the people on Twitter was was saying that before the movie came out that they would die if like they showed Wart. And I was like, they're okay, they may show a lot of things. They're not showing Wart. That's not gonna happen. And I was correct. There's no Wart. But they did have King Bobom, so Yeah. Yeah. Also a disturbingly nihilistic Luma. Yeah. That's yeah. perfect. Also I love uh, the, the penguin's voice, just that deep that that baritone yes. was great. <laughs> I will say a, a favorite memory from this will now be, and not just for the movie in general, uh, there was, of course, you know, a family with some kids when we went and saw the movie in theaters. At the very end, the Luma, who is always kind of espousing really dark things throughout the movie, just goes, uh, it's a happy ending, or is it? Because now it's over, and you have nothing to do but contemplate the void. And the mom, I just hear go, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, it's funny because I know that there was at least one kid in our theater who was not into it because we were about a half hour out from the end and we could hear him asking if the movie was over and when it would be over, which surprised me. It My pissed... daughter had a couple of fidget moments, but she doesn't know who any of these characters are. It, it pissed off my girlfriend. She We left the theater with her in a very bad mood because she was very grumpy with the kids making noise throughout things. She's not a people person, though. <laughs> yeah. You can't go to Mario and complain about kids. That's just... Uh... Yeah, I wasn't thrilled, that, uh, but uh, again, I was like, we're going to a kid's movie. It's gonna happen. Well, we saw... Uh, Let's get a late, late showing. Well, we did, we did a double exactly. feature. We did a double feature that day. We saw Suzume first, and then Mario, and she was telling me that she wished we had seen them, the other one first. That way we'd left on Suzume, which was a much smaller crowd. Fair. Yeah, no, our theater, like I said, we went opening weekend to get it, because, you know, like, hey, we got a free Sunday. Let's let's get this out of the way. And the theater, we were on, like, the third screening, because all the theaters were show or sold mm. out. And we heard people oh, like, man. yeah, no, uh, this theater, this showing, all our showings are today are already sold out. Sorry, guys, you can try for, you know, Monday. And I'm like, oh, this movie's going to make a billion dollars. And then we got out of it and like, this is definitely going to make a billion dollars. And yeah. there's so much room for for more. I mean, the, Mar- the they they try to touch on so many much stuff, but the Mario franchise is huge. Like, just Mario alone is huge. I mean, the fact that there's only one sequence that hints at Luigi's Haunted Mansion, and like, that could be its own entire movie. That's like, the complaints oh, going yeah. in was like, oh, why are they wasting all this for the first movie? It's like, one, if this is the only one they make, you don't want to leave anything really fun out. And also, you can come back to it. Mario is nothing but, if not iteration. Yeah, and I could totally see Luigi's Haunted Mansion being a movie, like, continuing Every, from this. Anything you can imagine, this will make a billion. This is going to make fucking Avatar money. More than anything, Again, though, we need. I think there should be a Donkey Kong movie next with King K. Rule proper. You know they're debating, like, okay, what do we do next? How do we do it next? Do we want to do Wario next time? Well, also, as a sidebar, but Seth Rogen seems to be going hard in on supporting animation, but with him also producing the new Teenage Mutant Turtles thing. So I think it would be very easy to get him on board with helping make a Donkey Kong movie happen. Yeah, the oh, big absolutely. thing is getting Nintendo to agree. Certainly, because Nintendo's and, not new to making a fuck ton of money. Yeah, like, but they, they put in, they own Mario. They put in the Donkey Kong rap. They know there's Donkey Kong sixty four fans in the audience. 
oh yeah. yeah. But I think that they're also you have to convince them. It's like, well, they obviously, and again, it's paid off. They don't want to do too much too fast and flood the market. They're not going to be f- totally flustered by like, oh, we made a billion dollars, and they're going to go. And we have Mario. Do you know how much we've made over the course of Mario? We knew this would happen. Well, it's not like Nintendo's ever going to be at, at, you know, risk of money. They they own Pokemon, and Pokemon is the most profitable yeah. franchise. Yeah, but I think they're, they're very conservative and reserved, yeah. which is probably the biggest reason that they've survived as many ups and downs as they have is they don't <laughs> fucking bet the farm. Uh, yeah, but seeing, their seeing this positive reaction and knowing Miyamoto is on board, this is definitely going to become, I don't think a, it, it's definitely not going to become a yearly thing just because that's not how animation works no. uh, for smaller, or for, uh, in, in its entirety, it, again, just years and years of work. But I'm definitely going to, we're definitely going to be seeing more as it comes out. Oh, yeah. All right, we've been talking for about 33 minutes by my clock. Let's get into at least one of the controversies that I want to address really quick, which I kind of hinted at it. The number of videos and captions I saw of people being angry about Peach seemingly make no fucking sense to me because I think she's great in this film without ever taking away from Mario, you know? Oh, we knew it was going to be a thing from the minute that Peach got equal booking to Mario. And she's a competent character. I'm like, oh, no, all the usual suspects are going to bitch and moan and gnash teeth and call woke. Yeah, I thought she was great. And I thought that uh, she only got like two sequences where she got to outshine people. And they were both awesome. One was her completing the obstacle course. And the other was her getting the freeze flower and fucking up the wedding, which was awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But now they've totally changed their tune now that it's making all the money and going, ah, oh, well, you see, it's anti-woke, and that's why it's making all this money. I hadn't heard about that one. That's news. Oh, they, they switched their tunes. Like, once it crossed the, you know, $500 million mark, they're like, oh, okay, well, now it's yeah. an anti-woke movie. Hmm. Oh, and again, that's why, like, I don't even, I don't even feel like we should have brought this up, because these are clout chasers. These yes. are, these are D-bags and sad people who purely to get clout and views to monetize will say anything that will rile people up to get them to watch. I completely agree. Or draw in a terrible crowd. You know what? I I completely agree, so I'll apologize instead of bringing it up. I do want to say that uh, I think the use of the word girl boss as a negative makes me really angry because I think girl bosses are cool but that's me i guess <laughs> it's also it also feels a little ridiculous because it's like what princess peach the ruler of the country is a girl boss <laughs> yeah yeah no it was dumb and then i walk like oh no she's a competent character well the usual suspects are going to bitch about this and it doesn't matter all right Alric, was there some oh, yeah. other because i know you've mentioned discourse and controversy was some other I'll, specific you want to bring up oh yeah there's the big one that led this off of critics didn't like this by which rotten tomatoes algorithm said critics didn't like this 
yeah, and it created a whole big debate. But I totally know why. Oh, yeah. That's an obvious one. Again, the only real criticism of the movie is that it's not ambitious. It's not really trying to be. It's its ambition is to properly adapt essentially the feeling of Mario games, but not to be like anything deep. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. But movie critics see films as part of their job, so they see films multiple <laughs> times per week. So that's exactly the kind of movie that is by its very nature not going to work for them. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's safe. Yeah. It's incredibly safe. It's incredibly simple. And I heard people going, well, how come Puss in Boots can do this? And this can do this. And this can do this. And like, gosh. Well, first of all, Puss in Boots took a lot of risk, actually. Yes. But... Not every movie w aspires to do that. Yeah. And they don't Most need to. movies, yes. That's the thing. Is holy fucking shit. Why does every fucking animated movie have to come out and fucking blow the doors off? Yeah, like, don't get me wrong, Puss yeah. in Boots is still my favorite movie of the year so far. Yeah, so, it's but, great. But not every film needs to, to be that. Not every... F things can just serve whatever their individual purpose is, and you can tell that they made this movie with the intention of adapting the essentially lighthearted vibe and fun childhood friendliness of the original Super Mario Brothers game. And they did and that. as yeah. someone with an actual child... The actual crap that is made for kids—that—that—that that, that is bad. <laughs> that there is pandering, horrible dog shit. This <laughs> didn't aspire to anything other than being, "Hey, I'm fun." But that kind of yeah. comes to the back half of the discussion. I am so sick and fucking tired of Rotten Tomatoes. If it disappeared off the internet tomorrow, it would be a fucking godsend for film discourse everywhere. Well, I have. I have a few notes on Rotten Tomatoes. One, it is a conglomerative website. Yes. Well, targeting it for any reason is foolhardy because of that. It's like it's not it's not a person's opinion. It's not Mr. Tomato saying this is a bad movie. It is a collective of critics all around giving their opinion and here's the average. So why are we upset about this? Also, that has resulted in uh, a situation where people think somehow like 70% is a bad score when that's not. Yes. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah, it's... Even, even claiming, I'd say even 50 is a bad score. It's like, that's half. Like, if, if you're saying something is mid, like, that's like, yeah, that's a 50% score. It might not be great, but it's like, it's watchable. I probably won't watch it again anytime soon. Well, also, remember that a majority of people who throw around Rotten Tomatoes scores don't seem to actually understand how Rotten Tomatoes actually gets its numbers. Because when it says something like uh, it has a Rotten Tomato score of 70%, that doesn't actually mean that the average score of the movie across Rotten Tomatoes scores is 7 out of 10. What that means is that... 7 out of 10 of critics who gave an opinion on the movie gave it above, like, a certain number. I, I don't know what it is. But the point is that you could have, example, you could have a movie that has basically super, uh, super controversial, not controversial, but super polarizing. Like, oh, this movie is seen as really amazing <laughs> by some people and really bad by other people. I don't know, something like Mother. What? And you could have that, that's that could result in a Rotten Tomato score 
as high as 90 or as low as 10 because it's like, oh, everyone's giving this either a 1 or a 10 and no one's giving it a 5. And so, like, what the score actually comes out to does not directly correspond to how people feel about it. it math and probability and statistics are a weird thing. Yeah. Well, there's that and, and there's my... the fact that critics' reviews are kind of on a weird shifting scale. Like, they can say, I liked it, and give it a certain score. Rotten Tomatoes goes, well, we're going to count that as a rotten score. So the same thing happens. In, the same thing happens in reverse. If every single critic thought something is just okay and gave it, like, a just above that threshold score, you'd get a 100% Rotten Tomatoes score for a movie that the actual people think is just okay. So it, it doesn't... That's been Marvel's secret sauce forever. Anyway, <laughs> continue. You had more to say. Uh, well, my other problem is that people try to branch this out into the further argument of critics are out of touch, or there's, like, not a need for critics anymore, which is we need a more baffling. Well, <laughs> but anyway. the argument, uh, my my thing is, and I saw this uh, comment from uh, Swade on Twitter, and I, I like the idea. You look at critics, and I I know you do this, Axel. You look at a critic to see what like-minded or even sometimes other-minded people have to say about the movie if a critic says this movie is bad these are the reasons i think it's bad and you go hey i think i would like the movie for those reasons then the critic has done his job yeah well also for me and i've said this for many many years the if you look at why film criticism at least in its most modern parlance came into being back in the age of the silver screen it's because back then movies were a much more of a luxury than they are now so it was very much i have limited time and limited money i have to know where to spend that time and money so to me when i'm looking at critics i'm not trying to look at them to determine like what my opinion is going to be i'm initially looking at them to say okay i will determine my own opinion about this if i'm interested enough in it but if all the critics that I trust, and not a conglomerate view like Rotten Tomatoes, I like very specific people that I know how they think, if they all think this movie is bad, but I'm still interested in it, I'm still going to see it, but I probably won't spend money to see it. I'll probably wait till some like streaming service or something. So it's a way to kind of like figure out what kind of time and money and effort do I want to put into forming my own opinion. And then after I see something, the point of critics, because... I've said many times, I've got three main critics I pay attention to for three different reasons. I've got the one critic that is the most like me, so he's usually the best barometer of whatever he feels with the movie. I'm probably going to feel about it, too, because we almost always agree. I've got the one critic who I disagree with more so than the other two, but he tends to be the most in line with the people that I end up talking to. So he's going to be my barometer for what kind of points am I going to be encountering. And then I've got a third critic who a lot of times talks about like behind the scenes and film theory, like film school kind of stuff. So I feel like I'm learning about how to think about films when I listen to him. Almost like I'm I'm more sharpening my way to appreciate films. So it's like they serve different purposes. Something that a conglomerate doesn't help me with at all. Yeah, and that's exactly my point. And my problem with Rotten Tomatoes as a whole is more and more recently people go, Oh, the Rotten Tomatoes score was blank. 
that means the movie is bad or good. Why? What, what is it that the critics are saying? Oh, I don't know. I just saw the Rotten Tomatoes score and went from there. And it's reducing film discourse to, well, the Rotten Tomatoes score was and not this critic said this and thought this. This critic said this and thought this. And it's also, even if you do, like, well, this is the critic consensus. And it's just a word gamble of, well, this is by and large the vibe of what critics had to say about this. But you, you don't know, know what the critics are. That's another thing, thinking. too, what you're saying there. I honestly, just for me, I don't feel comfortable saying critical consensus until several years after something has come out. Because, again, I generally only pay attention to, like, the voices that I, I know directly. I try to branch out every now and then find a few new, especially when it comes to movies that are based in things that I don't have personal life experience with. I try to find people who do. But besides the point, point is, because I'm not listening to every critic, I don't know what critical consensus really is until there's been some time for it to kind of percolate into all the various other things I pay attention to. No, what I use is like, my three critics, this was their general consensus amongst the three. This is what I'm feeling or this is what I'm thinking. And we saw this kind of play out. And a lot of times like you go and you read the reviews and you're like, that is the dumbest fucking shit I have ever heard. Why would I listen to your opinion on movies? That was just out of left field. And we kind of saw this with the whole Ant-Man Quantumania things. Like this is not demonstrably worse than the previous two Ant-Man movies. But because the view of Marvel has kind of shifted and because the conversation very much boiled around of, well, this is the first non-COVID movie that Marvel's gotten a Rotten Tomatoes score on. This means this movie is bad. This means Marvel is over because the Rotten Tomatoes score said, not the critics said, not audiences said, it became a discussion of the Rotten Tomatoes score was bad Therefore, the movie is bad. Which I do feel like that entire, and I think you're getting at this, that entire conversation takes away, I don't want to just say nuance, but it takes away... No, it's away, 100% nuance. There is yeah, no discussion. But that's, but that's not what I'm trying to get at. I'm it's trying reductive. To get at, yeah, it's reductive to the point of uselessness. Like, yes. there's, there's a concept that I think is really important where there is no such thing as objective criticism. It doesn't exist. Like, there is this idea in artistic criticism to strive towards objectivism or not objectivism the philosophy that's a whole different thing but like being yeah. uh, being objective about things which is impossible there is no the only re we've actually shown in medical studies that when you like take away people's ability to feel emotions because we've had people have like brain accidents where they lose the ability to feel emotions it actually completely destroys their ability to make decisions so like no matter how objective you think you're being all of your decisions are based in emotional response to some level so all criticism is subjective period so then it becomes a, a thing of all right what is this critic's subjective set of reasonings biases whatever that's not inherently bad thing that's just a understand the perspective someone's coming from a couple a while ago unvog and i went and saw dungeons and dragons honor among thieves which I enjoyed quite a bit. I saw it twice, actually. And I listened to a bunch of people talk about it. I, well, I listened to film critics talk about it. I listened to D&D people talk about it. And it was really interesting to see the completely different set of subjective biases at play. Like, there's a sequence in the middle of that movie where a character shows up 
They are way more competent than all of the main characters, and they basically take over for about 15 to 20 minutes of the movie to get them to the next place they need to be. And a lot of the people I've talked to love that sequence and love that character. A lot of the movie people love that sequence and love that character. The D&D people, especially the DMs, were not a big fan of it because, and I heard at least one critic use these words specifically, it took agency away from the main characters. And I heard that and I went, oh, you were thinking like a dungeon master where in a game, that would be a terrible thing to do. You never take away agency from your players. But in this movie, it's a really good narrative decision. <laughs> so my point of all that is that, yeah, understanding the nuance of like why someone feels a way, why someone leans one direction or another. You know, there's no objective truths about films at all. It's just subjectiveness. Yeah, and that's yeah. why you need to have a trusted critic and not, well, the algorithm site told me that everyone thinks this. Yeah, you want to know another example? I'll be quick with this one. It's almost considered an objective truth by the internet that the original Super Mario Brothers movie is terrible. And I believe it is. But there is an entire group of people, apparently, and I only know this because I saw an interview with John Leguizamo, and he says that he frequently gets people come up to him and tell him how they love that movie, and they love him as Luigi in that movie. And I have no criticism of John Leguizamo, but I was like, oh, so there are people who love that movie. Cool. I have nothing against that. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean I think they're wrong for liking it. (laughs) Oh, I'll bring up my own personal internet beef. I am old enough to remember when it was universally agreed upon that the Matrix sequels sucked ass. And now, more and more people are telling me, no, those are masterpieces of their time, misunderstood. And I maintain, I'm glad you enjoy it, but you are fucking wrong. Wunvog, you've tried to jump in a couple times. Oh, more just enjoying the conversation. Uh, My thoughts on it, too, ultimately, when it comes to the critic thing, and I think we're we kind of talk around it too, but the biggest and most important thing about all of it too is make sure you get your own opinion. Like go, if you're, if you're not sure if you're going to like it, check it out. Like look in, look into it. See, see what it might be about. If you're like, Hey, I might like those things for those reasons, you know, form your own opinion and don't just make the assumption that, it's going to be good or bad based on a an algorithm's total or what just a handful of people have claimed it is. Yeah, hell, the three of us right now are telling you, the listener, that the Super Mario Brothers movie is fun and enjoyable, but light and light on purpose. And if you're listening to that and you think that that sounds like reasons you might not like it, all right. You've got a different set of uh, biases than we do. And again, it's not a bad thing or a good thing. Uh, If you're sitting there hearing it and thinking that you will like it for the reasons that we're saying, hey, go spend your money. Check it out. We We think it's worth your time. If you end up not feeling the same way, well, sorry. You know, there's any number of reasons for that. Like, we're not... We're not end-all, be-all. Rotten Tomatoes isn't an end-all, be-all. There's no critics in end-all, be-all. At the end of the day, you have to experience a piece of art for yourself and define your own opinion you can use the opinions and statistics and whatnot of other people as a way to enrich your appreciation or your interpretation but 
it's still at the end of the day has to be your experience with it yeah like i just keep seeing people going well why couldn't it be the lego movie because not everything wants to be the lego movie yeah i love the not lego every movie, movie but... wants to be scorsese and you know what it's not transformers okay <laughs> i really feel like we need to redress our idea of what a bad movie is because obviously we're not seeing enough bad movies if we're like well this mildly competent well-done movie is just utter crap you have not seen crap crap is still out there yeah and we just don't see it because rotten tomatoes tells us not to and also what your definition of crap is could be completely different than what someone else's definition you know one man's trash treasure what all that cliche bullshit it's true see my statements regarding the matrix trilogy yeah or an example pertinent to our podcast I don't think Ulrich is wrong for his dislike of one of my favorite movies in Scott Pilgrim. I think that it comes as, as, as a movie, it is appreciated by a set of perspectives and biases that are mine and a lot of other people's, but are very much not Ulrich's. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's how, that's my problem with Rotten Tomatoes, and that's the reason we're talking about it here, is people aren't talking about movies, they're talking about movie scores, and then you're not talking about movies. Yeah, it's a good True. point. Changing the narrative. Move that but, that goalpost, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's safe to say we think this is worth your time. But again, if you don't, awesome. Also, and I think this is relevant, there is such thing too as appreciating a movie from a perspective that is different than the one you thought you were going to appreciate it from. And, yep. and here's what I mean by that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that The Incredible Hulk is an amazing movie. I don't think it is. I am going to tell you that when I watched it expecting a superhero movie, I had a much worse time than when I later on watched it thinking of it more as a Frankenstein's monster horror adjacent movie. Once my brain shifted perspectives on that, I had a much better time with it. I'm not saying that makes it necessarily a better movie, because again, I don't believe there actually is such thing as objective quality, but... How you think about some? If you go into the Super Mario Brothers movie expecting like, I don't know, a Game of Thrones level narrative about monarchies dealing with each other in war, you're probably not going to have a good time. I don't think that. I think people went into it like, well, they're at least going to throw me some jokes that I, as an adult, will get and snicker at. And the movie's like, I'm here for the kids. That's it. I or, have no greater aspirations than to be here for the kids. If you have fun, that's cool. But no. Or how many movies, and I know Woundvog, you can back me up on this, how many movies, at least to one degree or another, fail, quote-unquote, as drama, and then succeed heavily, unintentionally, as comedy? Which is like the entire point of Riff Tracks, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and even, yeah, like, shoddy, uh, or even considered, like, C-tier movies find huge audiences with people who enjoy just having a laugh. That is the entire crux of the room. Yeah, or any So Bad It's Good movie. Yeah. All right, I'm going to wrap us off before I go off on my Pixar rant and get us truly canceled. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my my final concluding thoughts are Super Mario Bros. movies gets a thumbs up from me. I agree. All right, and if let's... you don't agree, you're wrong. So therefore, there, I undermined our whole argument. <laughs> All right. 
Let's roll into suggestions of the week before there's any more damage done. Well then, real quick, I'll get my suggestion out of the way. Unvog and I, and my, my girlfriend, we went today and we watched Renfield. Funny thing, I feel like I can't actually talk about it at all, and here's what I mean by that. Renfield, if you don't know, is the movie where Nicholas Holt plays the familiar to Nicholas Cage playing Dracula. If that sentence doesn't make you want to see it, it's probably not for you. But if that does make you want to see it, you almost certainly already know about it and are going to see it anyway. Like, I feel like that a lot a lot about Nick Cage in general, but it was enjoyable. It was way bloody in that, like, old-school samurai movie kind of way. And, uh, yeah, it was a fun movie. So that's my suggestion. All right, I'll go next. I'm assuming at least part of our audience is familiar with the Old Man Logan comic run, at least in conception. At the very least, it's connected to the movie Logan. If not, the story is it's set in the future of the Marvel Comics universe after the villains all teamed up and killed everybody. I personally don't think it's a very good comic. Okay, let me rephrase that. It's very of its time in that it's Ah. super edgy and hardcore and grim. And I always thought it was a better world setting than it was a comic. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm not alone because Marvel produced a series of radio plays set in the Wastelanders time, which is the world after all the supervillains took over. And it's a really cool series of audio plays, which if you don't know, it's like an old school radio drama. Yeah. Full cast of characters, sound effects, voice actors, great things. And it's a six part series. The first part is Star-Lord. He's, it's a Western, basically. The second part is Hawkeye, which is... I don't know how to describe Hawkeye, but it's Old Man Hawkeye. It's played by Nathan... Oh, God, what's his name? It's not Nathan Lane, it's... Philip. He was an Avatar. And Don't Breathe and... Oh, Stephen Lang. Oh, Stephen Lang, old... yes. Stephen Who Lang. is perfect casting for Old Hawkeye. Then we get Black Widow who is played by oh, blame on but it's drunk middle-aged over at woman and it's hilarious and it's perfect then we get wolverine then we get doctor doom and of course in true marvel fashion these all come together for a big avengers style event at the end but it really uses the setting of what became of the world when the villains took over and what does that world look like and what happened to these heroes and it manages to kind of massage the bits that aren't as good in the comic into something actually really good like if you know what happened to logan and wolverine in the comics it uses that and it actually goes but let's explore that and it ditches the hoax cannibal incest babies mm-hmm. which is the part of the comic i don't like it just kind of like no hulk's here but we're going to just divert that whole bit because that was just dumb and it's really fucking good where is this available uh all of your podcasting sites because this was produced by marvel and then distributed to everybody and you also reminded me reference to our beginning of this conversation i found out last night that one of my favorite drinks which is just dr pepper and kraken is called a doc ock and it makes me smile nice no again this has a great cast i mean keith david's got a bunch of parts fucking why am I blanking on everybody's name? The T-1000 plays Wolverine. Uh, Rob, 
Patrick wow. Roberts. Robert yeah, Patrick's, Robert Patrick's is Wolverine. It's a scary man, by the way. Yeah, he plays a great Wolverine. Fucking Doctor Doom gets actual pathos because he always he's he's very much Doctor Doom, and you know there's a scene where they're getting him drunk, and Doctor Doom is not liable to succumb to such base beverages alcohol. He shall have another. <laughs> and right. Doctor Doom That's is this fun. kind of grumpy uncle. And it's great, but he's still Doctor Doom. He's still killing people. He's still being a huge asshole, but it's great. I loved it. All right, Woonfog, do you have a suggestion for us? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna lightly alienate Ulrich here and uh, suggest an anime. Oh, God, no. <laughs> There's a new one out from last season called Buddy Daddies. Haven't heard of it. <laughs> it, is a, it is a series about two mercenary hitmen who inadvertently end up adopting the child of one of the drug dealers they take out. And I already have Spy X family vibes just from your description. Very much so, but but uh, with less uh or more grounded. Okay. In the setup of uh it's just basically two friends uh living in Japan. And showing how effectively becoming parents helps them both clean up their act. Hmm. All right, but it's really cute, and it's uh, I've found uh, I'm a big sucker for found family as a uh, thread for stories. I get that. All right, well then, it's at this point that we thank Unvog for joining us for the conversation. Happy to be here. And we bring out the special soapbox that if there's anything that you want to plug, it doesn't have to be, you know, like suggestion of the week, it doesn't have to be something that people can engage with necessarily, just anything that you want to plug that as a thank you for joining us, now's your time to do it. Yeah. The thing my go-to is always creativehorror.com, a bunch of different podcasts mainly focusing around scary stories and horror-themed elements from across the interwebs. So Midnight Marinara is? Yes. Okay. Uh, which Mid- Midnight Marinara, a which is a radio play style show where they do mostly like creepy pastas or internet stories. And then a newest one that has been a lot of fun is a podcast called The Jameson Tapes, which is just two friends having drinks and watching a horror movie together and then discussing it. All right. The most of the podcast can be found on YouTube under the Creative Horror moniker or at their website, creativehorror.com. All right. All right. I believe that means you can now take us into the outro. Yes. Thank you all for listening, especially bearing through our angry rant at the end. If you enjoyed mm-hmm. this, make sure you share it around with friends, family, enemies, giant turtle dragon monsters whoever you happen to find because that's the life and death of podcast is getting new viewers yeah and whatever platform you're currently listening to us on thank you for listening to us there and if there's some other platform you'd like us to be on tell us what it is and we'll look into it as always it's been lord commander auric and his shield brother axel Wright. be sure to tune in next time and as always stay honorable